When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. From the Independent and Independent Voices, this is Double Take, a podcast in which we catch up with the writers of some of our favourite comment pieces. I'm your host, Kirsty Major. To say that this year's hung parliament came as a surprise to our chief political columnist, John Rentoul, is an understatement. Long opposed to Corbyn's leadership, John had predicted electoral oblivion for Labour. To his credit, the day after the results came in, he wrote as mea culpa, I was wrong about Jeremy Corbyn. Three weeks after the results, John is here to read his piece and to discuss if he is yet dancing to the tune of Oh Jeremy Corbyn. I was wrong about Jeremy Corbyn. I'd already been wrong about him twice. I thought that he would come fourth in the Labour leadership election in 2015, And I thought that when he was exposed to the British public in an election campaign, Labour's support would go down. But I do try to learn from my mistakes, and so knowing that I'd been wrong about him, I tried to offset my own bias. I didn't do a very good job. I looked at all those polls and forecasting models pointing towards a Conservative majority of 100 or more, and I thought that, well, it would be less than that. So I said the majority would be about 78. Hopeless. So now I have to try even harder to learn from my latest mistake. I put too much weight on assumptions for which there was little evidence. Uh, My colleague John Stone listed some of them uh, on the independent website after the election. One was that opinion polls tend to overstate Labour's support. They have done in the past, but most pollsters adjusted their methods after the last election. They seem to have overdone the correction. There was no way of knowing that, of course, but I shouldn't have assumed that if there was an error, it would have been to overstate Labour. John also lists voters will never vote for left-wing policies. I thought I was aware of the problems with that kind of simplistic assumption. I was well aware that some supposedly left-wing policies are popular. But I was confused, torn between pointing out that there is nothing intrinsically left-wing about public ownership and imagining that people would balk at adding to the national debt to pay for it. None of that matters, of course. People think their gas and electricity bills are too expensive and that the government ought to do something about it. And they're sentimental about the privatisation of railways and the Royal Mail. People are also more worried about student debt than the question of who will pay for such a huge subsidy to better off graduates. I thought, too, that John Macdonald wanting an insurrection to bring down capitalism would go down badly with the median voter. It turned out that the median voter was pretty fed up with capitalism and didn't mind a bit of anti-establishment rhetoric. I also believed the polls when they said that Theresa May was preferred to Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister, and that she had a particular advantage on Brexit, on paying for economic promises, and on national security. 
But there were other things going on at the same time. Above all, a sense of compassion, enthusiasm and optimism, which compared badly with the emotional flatness of the Tory campaign. It wasn't relying just on opinion polls, of course. Labour did very badly in the local elections on the 4th of May. Those were real votes in real ballot boxes. I even met real voters. I came across Labour voters who liked Theresa May and others who didn't like Jeremy Corbyn. But I assumed that Theresa May was more popular than she was. I thought British voters rather liked her stiffness and reserve. They may have told pollsters that they preferred her to Jeremy Corbyn, but it seems they didn't like her that much. So yes, I underestimated Jeremy Corbyn's appeal. I allowed my disagreement with his policies to colour my assumptions about what other voters would think about them. But I was not completely wrong. Labour came nowhere near being the largest party and was even further away from winning a majority of its own. I still think another leader, goodness knows who though, will be needed next time. However, the important thing for me is to understand my mistakes and to try to learn from them. That was John Rentoul reading his piece, I Was Wrong About Jeremy Corbyn. A link to the original piece will be in the show notes. Up next, I chat to John about whether he has learnt from his mistakes yet. Hello, John. Hi there. So we've just finished recording you reading your piece about how you got it wrong on Corbyn for our Double Take podcast, which is our new podcast from Independent Voices. So thank you for reading it out. Um, it's a now, painful experience. <laughs> how do you feel? After the election, on an emotional well, level. An emotional level? Um, well, no, I'm, I'm annoyed with myself because, you know, I should have been uh, more aware of uncertainty. This, this is always the problem, is that especially me, I'm, I'm obsessed with opinion polls, as you know. I'm obsessed with numbers. Uh, they're the only kind of hard information you have during an election. And obviously I end up putting too much weight on them and not really looking for... Uh, and evidence that you know they might be wrong, um, and you know it's It was difficult because there wasn't really any evidence uh, suggesting that you know there was going to be a hung parliament, uh, but people did tend to assume that if the polls were wrong, then it was going to be in the direction of the Tories getting an even bigger majority than the polls suggested. Because that was the traditional sort of orthodoxy around polling is that, like you say in your piece, that people overstate. Yeah, voting Labour, when yes. in this case it, it, it wasn't at all. No, that's right. I mean, the polls didn't overstate Labour in 2010 and they didn't overstate Labour in 1983, but those are the only two examples of recent uh, modern elections where they didn't. Um, and I didn't think that this election felt like either of those. So, you know, there you, know, there you go. But, um, you know, I'll know next time. And polls is one thing, but also another thing you, you mentioned in the piece that you wrote for us was underestimating the Corbyn appeal. And I think today's quite timely because you did a tweet today, John, <laughs> that I'm going to read out. So today you tweeted, 10 years ago today, the sky is darkened and the country has been grey and miserable ever since. Tony Blair stood down as PM 27th of June, 2007. <laughs> so do you yeah. still feel like Corbyn isn't the man and a sort of Blair 2.0 is what Labour needs. No, I don't. I'm. I'm not. I mean, I was. I was obviously being <laughs> ironic in that in that tweet. I mean, I thought that you know Tony Blair was on balance a good prime minister, and it really infuriates me that the entire Corbyn movement seems to be built on Blair hatred, and you know this seems to be completely unreasonable for you know some a, a prime minister who actually made this country better uh, on balance. I mean, he had he had all sorts of flaws. 
Um, but to build an entire movement in reaction to you know, what ought to be, I think, one of Labour's uh, proudest uh, periods in government uh, seems to me just completely misconceived and wrong. Uh, and that is part of my emotional difficulty in coming to terms with Corbynism. This is something I find quite interesting about you and I, because we both write on Labour quite a lot. And in many ways, we're quite representative of our demographics. You know, I write pro-Corbyn pieces <laughs> and I... I'm fully in support and part of that movement. Yeah. And for something for you that's, like you say, it, it's opposed to this Blair, this leader who you thought actually did, did great things for the country. But I wonder if that's got something to do with the different um, sort of context in which we grew up. So, like, I grew up in a sort of post-Blair, or came yeah. to, like, political awakening post-Blair, post-Iraq. Yeah. Um, when marketization began to sort of like take form and then took it took further form under Cameron whereas maybe for you do you feel like 1983 and the foot defeat shaped how well you of course see yeah I mean my my entire political formation was built in you know the, the late 70s early 80s uh, when the Labour Party I thought was completely off track um, and the 1983 election was very significant for me uh, that was when the party put forward a program which is very similar to a lot of the things that Jeremy Corbyn's doing now, uh, and was completely destroyed by uh, by a successful Conservative uh, government. And so, you know, from that point, I've always thought that the Labour Party ought to be uh, in the centre ground um, and ought to form uh, that kind of government, a centrist Labour government, and that that's the kind of government that I want to see. And I think, you know, all my disagreements with Jeremy Corbyn are because he's trying to take uh, the party away from that. So I think it was today, or I mean, quite recently, the most recent stat from YouGov said that 43% of the British public agree that a socialist government would make Britain a better place. Do you think there's been a, you know... Well, we had a, social yeah, we had a socialist government in uh, 1997 to... 2010. Um, but the problem is, Some I think disagree people... disagree with that, yeah, maybe. Well, people, this, is, this is precisely the problem. People have an idea in their heads about what socialism means. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, Tony Blair was a democratic socialist uh, prime minister and a, very, and, and a relatively successful one. Uh, and he did, he did good e egalitarian things. And my frustration with Jeremy Corbyn is that that wasn't a particularly egalitarian manifesto that he fought on. Um, and unlike you, I actually agree with Jeremy Corbyn on, on one big thing, which is that he accepts Brexit. He accepts that we're leaving the European Union. And all those people who were cheering him uh, and singing, oh, Jeremy Corbyn. I said I'd give you a five if you said it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all those people singing that ridiculous football chant at Glastonbury. Um, they, don't, they, they don't agree with Brexit. And yet they're cheering this, this guy who, you know, I think is right to, to accept Brexit. Oh, I don't know. I think a lot of people have come to accept Brexit now. I think right. that's a sort of conversation which, for the most part, has been put to bed. But what I am interested in in discussing is this idea of like socialism. So what do you think is less socialist about Corbyn compared to Blair? Um, well, because he, didn't, he wasn't proposing to do anything about reversing the cuts to working tax credits for the working poor. Um, which are still in the in the government plans, and uh, there was nothing about that in the Labour manifesto. Instead, there was this huge subsidy to uh, middle class graduates uh, in the form of eleven billion pounds a year to abolish tuition fees. And you know that's a lovely idea, and I'm in favour of it in principle. But it's the wrong priority if you're if you're spending that kind of money. Uh, I think 
uh, to spend it on people who are going to be mostly better off as a result of as a result of going to university. So you see universalism, as it were, as, as a not very socialist. Well, it's not particularly no. I mean, it's it's a nice idea, and you know, obviously, you know, I've I've been in favour of of child benefit, and uh, you know, universal benefits are better than than means tested benefits. Absolutely, everybody accepts that. But in in practice, you've got limited amount of money as a, as a government, uh, and you need to spend it more wisely. So this is maybe I'll make this my my last question because um, it's quite a big one. So it's this idea of um, the economy being a sort of household economy. You know, you you borrow and you have to repay back, and you know you have less in your purse. Mm. Whereas what I think a lot of people who are behind Corbynomics would say is that actually that's like microeconomics, macroeconomics, as you have lots of different pots of money that you're moving around at any given time. Yeah. So do you think? That critique still stands when you look at it from that point of view, from like infrastructure spending, um, actually giving people more money to spend, more money to spend in the future when they've, they've got a better job because they've had a better yeah. degree. Yeah, no, um, obviously, as a government, you can borrow uh, money, and especially at the moment, you can borrow money uh, quite cheaply. I mean, there's a, then there's a good Keynesian yeah. argument for for the government to do that. Although at this stage in the in the business cycle, when you know we're now. Uh, quite a long way from a recession, nearly ten years out of out of the the financial crash. You sh- the government shouldn't actually be borrowing huge amounts of money uh, because interest rates do have to go back up to normal levels at some point. I'm not a I'm not an economic expert, but I do know, uh, and and you know, you don't want to make simplistic analogies, but I, I do know that governments that just borrow uh, as if though as if there's no tomorrow. Uh, do get into trouble because, you know, I was alive in the 1970s when that Labour government uh, tried to do that. And, you know, it was James Callaghan who said, you know, in the end, you can't just sort of borrow your way to, out of trouble. Um, and, you know, in the end, the government does have to balance its books. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to balance them, uh, uh, you know, in the in the strict sense, which I know you lot call austerity, which, you know, I think is just, you know, a slogan. Um, you know, a government can borrow a, a, a certain amount as long as it doesn't increase the national debt as a percentage of the of, of the GDP. But you know, it, there are limits, and you can't just solve all problems uh, by going to the magic money tree. Unless you're the DUP. <laughs> well, that's a very small. <laughs> as as one Conservative MP was quoted, that's a very small bonsai tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, John. So you're you're sorry, but not sorry. Well, no, I'm no, I'm not sorry at all. I'm 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 annoyed with myself for having underestimated his popularity, but it doesn't mean that I agree with anything uh, Jeremy Corbyn stands for, except Brexit. Okay, well, thank you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. If you like the show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Acast, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Double Take is produced by Helen Hoddenop. Holly Baxter is the acting editor of Independent Voices. I'm Kirsty Major. See you next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.